Well, good morning, church. We're glad you are here this morning, and uh, we've been in this series called Thrive for the last several weeks, and I just want to remind you kind of the premise of this series is based on John 10.10. Most of us know what that says, but in John 10.10, Jesus said it very simply, the thief, who's the thief? Who's the thief? The devil, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it what? Okay, have it what? So talk to me this morning. More abundantly, right? And the point is this, is that Jesus didn't offer us life just so we could survive this life. He offered it to us so we could thrive in this life. And so we've been looking at what are different things in our lives that are maybe holding us back. Maybe some different things in our lives that are keeping us from thriving. And so we started off the series talking about the past. You know, the Apostle Paul said, forgetting what is behind I press on to what's what ahead of us, right? He focused on the future. Why? Because Paul understood something hopefully we understand. That for many of us, our past failures, our past successes, our past regrets, our past can keep us from thriving and being all that what God wants us to be in the present and in the future. So we talked about that. And then we talked about another thing that holds us back sometimes is people, right? People who have hurt us, and we all agreed a couple of weeks ago, we've all been hurt by people. But rather than letting people and the hurt they've caused us hold us down, we need to rather than respond like the world responds, we were challenged to respond like Jesus would respond in this way, by being kind, tenderhearted, and ultimately what? Forgiving. Not our version of forgiveness, but God's version of forgiveness. That is complete, that is thorough, that never leverages it over them Again, and then last week we said this, that if there's another thing that holds us back, it's not just our past, it's not just people that have hurt us, but another thing that holds us down sometimes is our view of money. Now we talked about this, and I hope you remember this, it's this idea that for many people, our view of money is ownership, right? It is whose? Mine, right? And what we learn when we read scripture is, that's not the case. Everything belongs to the Lord. And so we talked about last week that, that what we learned was that what the truth that matters when it comes to money, when we have a wrong view of money, we run the risk of falling in love with money. And scripture says, according to Paul and Timothy, that the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil, right? That when you fall in love with money and it becomes the master of your life, it can lead to a lot of different evils in your life. And so the remedy for that is something that's been the remedy since all the way back in the Old Testament. Here's the remedy, giving. That for God, that the remedy for that kind of mindset, that heart that it all belongs to me, the remedy is to give. And in particular, we talked about two areas of giving. We talked about giving of the tithe and giving of offerings. The tithe is that 10% that belongs to the Lord. So what we challenged you with last week, and if you weren't here, just this is kind of a recap. We challenged those of you that are members of Cross Life East, or you feel like Cross Life East is your home, we challenge you to take this card. And in fact, there's one on the end of every uh, aisle here if you didn't have a chance to do it. Take this card and fill this out. And ultimately, what we're asking you to do is make a commitment to the Lord and to the church. Here's what I think that I'm going to be able to give to the Lord this year of my tithes. And that's, that's what we're asking you to do. Now, let me remind you a couple of things. First of all, I will never see this. I will never see your name. I will never see a number. I won't see, the only one I saw was mine when I filled it out. That's the only one I'm going to see. And no one's going to call you mid-year and go, hey, listen, guess what? 
you're giving way too much money. Would you stop giving right now, right? Nobody's going to make that phone call. Or the opposite. Nobody's going to call and go, hey, by the way, you're kind of slacking on what you said. No, nobody's doing that. Here's why this is important for us as a church. It helps us as a church be a better steward of God's money. When we know what God's people plan to give to God's church, we can be a better steward of that money that belongs to the Lord. Do you, do you want your church to be a better steward of the money that is God's money? You sure you do. And the second reason this is important is this is a commitment. This is us saying, when I filled this out and put in that envelope and turned it in, it was as if I was saying, I refuse to let money be my master. I refuse to fall in love with money. And so, Lord, I'm going to give this to you because in giving, it keeps me from the temptation of greed. It keeps me from that moment of thinking that my money belongs to me when truth of the matter is, it's not mine at all. I'm just allowed to steward what you've given me, Lord. So if you didn't take a moment to fill that out, if you would do that this week, we're going to take them on the way through next week. So if you're a member or you feel like Cross Life is your home, please take a moment to do that. We do this every year in January just so we can be a better steward of God's money throughout the year. So we've talked about another thing that holds us back is our view of money. Now today I want to take a fourth area that I think that keeps us from thriving in life, and that's this, a lack of commitment, a lack of commitment. Now, here's what we all know, okay? All of us have experienced this. All have seen this. Maybe all of us have done this before. We live in a world, <coughs> excuse me, that is committed to everything but is loyal to almost nothing. Are you with me on that? We commit. How many of you know people that commit to everything? I mean, yes is always their answer, right? And then they find themselves through it going, <coughs> at some point, okay, I've said yes, I've said yes, but at some point, I just can't keep all these commitments. Why? Because there's something inherently in us, which is good, that says, I want to commit to all this stuff, but the reality is, we're loyal to nothing. So here's my point. There's a difference in committing to something and being committed to something. Are you with me on that? There's a difference in making a commitment and really being committed. And the same thing's true in our spiritual life. Many of us in the room today would say, you know what, Doug? I feel like I'm committed to my walk with the Lord. But the reality is when you looked at your life, maybe what you'd find out is this, is that you're not thriving, you're surviving. That when you look at your life, you're spiritually doing <coughs> excuse me, just enough to get by in your relationship with the Lord. You're doing just enough to get by. You're not doing, you're not doing and to, to the point where you're thriving. You're doing enough just to get by. And so you would say, Lord, Doug, I'm committed to my relationship with the Lord. But the reality is I'm doing just enough to get by. And then we back up and we realize, okay, if that's the case, then maybe that's why I feel like God is distant from me. Maybe that's why I feel like at some point, no, is God distant, but I feel like my faith is fragile. For many of us, we said that we have made a commitment to really pursue and to follow the Lord. But when we look at our life, what we see is that, yes, we made a commitment, but really not that committed. And so the truth of the thing I want to talk about today is what do we have to be committed to in order to thrive in our personal relationship with Christ? What, do we, what must we be committed to if we're going to thrive in our walk with Christ? So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. James chapter 4. Go ahead and turn your Bible there, and then I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's Word. James chapter 4. I want to read verse 7 through 10. And it says this, James writes this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will 
exalt you. May God bless the reading of his word. You may have a seat. Now, as you look at this passage, there's really three things that I feel like that when we read the letter of James, there's three things that we must be committed to if we're going to thrive in our walk with Christ. More than just surviving, more than just doing enough to get by. Because, I mean, how many of you can remember a time in your life where you were just, you were waiting for the next Sunday to come? I mean, spiritually, you were just doing just enough to get by and Sunday couldn't come fast enough. We've all been there, right? So what do we have to do to thrive in our walk with Christ? (coughs) The first thing James says this, we must submit ourselves to God. We need to submit ourselves to the Lord. Verse 7, he just simply says, submit yourselves, to, therefore, to God. Now, the word submit here, the word submit in the Greek language, the word submit is a word that is a military word. Submit literally means to rank under. So when you submit to someone, you are ranking yourself under. You're saying they are the authority, and guess what? I'm not, right? So to submit in the Greek, it literally means just to rank yourself under under them. And the phrase submit yourselves in the original Greek language is in the passive tense, which means this, that that submission is voluntary. It's not a command. James is not commanding them to submit themselves to God. He's saying the way it's like, I want you to voluntarily submit yourselves to the Lord. In other words, I want you (coughs) to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of Christ. Let me say it this way. I want you to voluntarily yield your will, your way, and your desires, and give them over to the Lord. Now, see, submission isn't just about yielding my will and yielding my way and yielding my desires. It's also about taking up his and having a heart to obey his, right? I mean, if I'm going to submit myself to the Lord, it's not just about me turning over my desires, my will, my way. It's also about this heartbeat that says, I want to take up God's will. I want to do things God's way. I want what makes God's heart break to break my heart. So I'm not only yielding my stuff, but I have a plan to obey him. And he says, I want you to submit yourselves to the Lord. I want you, in other words, <coughs> to voluntarily yield your will, your way, your desires, and take on his. And have a heart to obey him as the authority in your life. That's what it means to submit. Now, when you think about that, and we've thought about that, is that how we're living life right now? Is that how we're doing life that, you know, because if you're like Doug, and I say this a lot, but it's true, I like my way. Don't you like your way? Don't you like how you like to do things? Don't you like your plans for your life? What you desire? Don't you like what you desire? I'm the same way. And I think there's this epic battle for believers all the time. And one of the reasons we're not thriving in our walk is because we're unwilling to submit. We're unwilling to yield ourselves and to rank ourselves under the Lord, saying, Lord, you know my will, you know my ways, you know my desires, but instead of me imposing them, I'm going to yield them. And I want to take up your will. I want to do things your way, and I want to obey your word. That's what it means to submit. And he says here, if you notice, that in submitting, God gives us the strength to do something. Look what he says back in verse 7. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil... And he will flee from you. Now, in the original language here, this is not two statements. It's a continuation thought. Meaning, if you will submit yourselves to the Lord, he will give you the strength to do something supernatural. You know what that is? Resisting the devil. And when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. So if we submit ourselves to the Lord, God will give us the strength to resist the enemy. That word resist means to stand against or to oppose. 
So when we submit ourselves <coughs> excuse me, to the Lord, and we yield ourselves to the Lord, and we obey the Lord, he will give us the strength to resist the enemy, to stand against, to oppose. Now, let's be honest. The enemy attacks us, does he not? You think you have an attacker in the enemy. Amen? <coughs> Three of you. Amen? You believe that? And listen, here's the thing about that. One of the ways he attacks us, well, many ways, but there's one in particular, is through temptation. He tries to dangle in front of us things that feed our will, our way, and our desires, right? Are you with me on that? He dangles those things in front of us to entice us, to get us to take, to take hold of those things. And here's the reality we all know is that when I'm not living my life submitted to the Lord, when I'm not yielded those things and obeying the Lord, I will always give in to that temptation, because if I'm not living in submission to the Lord, I'm not walking in rhythm with the Lord, I'm not in step with the Lord, I'm always going to have this desire to fulfill my desires. And so if I'm not submitted to the Lord, guess what? I'm going to give in to that temptation. But if I submit myself to the Lord, like he's talking about, through yielding and obeying, if I truly submit myself to the Lord, not only will I thrive in my spiritual life, but ultimately I will have the strength to resist the enemy. So listen, if we're going to thrive in our spiritual life, what must we be committed to? First of all, we have to be committed to submitting ourselves to the Lord. Now, here's what most of us think that means. Most of us say, we'll wake up in the morning, we'll have a prayer time maybe, and we'll go, Lord, have your way with me today, right? Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Come on, have your way. Hopefully we all pray that. But then as we go through the day, what we find out about ourselves is we tend to say, we say that because it's the right thing to say. Maybe we mean it. When we say it, but as we go through the day, we find out that we find ourselves gravitating toward doing what we want to do, our will, our way, and satisfying our desires. And so if we're really going to thrive in our walk with Christ, we have to be, not just make a measly commitment, we have to really be committed to submitting ourselves to the Lord. The second thing we have to be committed to, he says here, is draw near to God. In verse 8, he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, when it talks about drawing near to God, it carries the idea of an intentional pursuit and intentional investment. Now, here's the key word, intentional. I'm going to say something that's going to blow your mind. You ready? Your spiritual growth doesn't just happen. All right? You already knew that, didn't you? I mean, you didn't wake up today going, I'm closer to the Lord today than I've ever been, and I've not done anything for it. I mean, does anybody have that story? No, nobody has that story. Because our walk with Christ has to be an intentional pursuit and intentional investment. I mean, did you wake up one day and you were like, I'm married? Well, how did that one happen, right? I know you're thinking, well, what happens in Vegas can stay in Vegas. I get that, but I mean, nobody wakes up that way. There was a point where the men probably intentionally pursued the woman, somehow tricked them, I'm not sure how, and they gave in, and there was this intentional pursuit, this intentional investment that led to what? Marriage. And if we're going to draw near to God, there has to be an intentionality on our part. Our relationship with the Lord does not get strengthened just because it happens. It doesn't just happen. There has to be intentionality on our part to pursue the Lord and to invest in that relationship. Well, how do we do that? Well, we already know the answer. One way we do that is through reading our Bible, right? One way that we're able to pursue the Lord and invest in that relationship is by reading the Bible. Now, why is reading the Bible important? Well, here's why. Because when you read this word, you find out the heart of God. 
You find out what excites the heart of God, and you find out what breaks the heart of God. You find out the will of God. You find out the desires of God. You find out everything we need to know about our Heavenly Father when we open this book. And so if we are going to thrive, we must intentionally invest and pursue by reading the Bible. God's word to us. Another way is through prayer. And I'm not just talking about blessing the food that you're about to eat, hoping that God will change the molecular structure of it so it can actually bless you, right? We all pray that, but sometimes if you're eating a triple Whopper, I'm not sure how that one's going to happen, right? We're all there, right? So, so we pray. What is prayer? And we're going to talk about prayer next week. It is pursuing and seeking and communing with a holy God. And so if we are going to thrive, we have to draw near. There has to be intentionality on our part to invest and pursue our relationship with the Lord. And did you pick up on what he said in verse 8? He says, if you draw near to God and he will what? He will draw near to you. It's reciprocal, right? And we know that to be true because we've seen that in relationships. You invest in a relationship, you pour into a relationship, and ultimately, hopefully, that is reciprocated. They pour back into you. They invest back into you. And the same thing's true with our walk with Christ. When we pour into him and invest in that relationship, God doesn't go, well, you know what? That wasn't good enough. I'm not going to invest in you. No, no, no. God draws near to us as well. But then if we do that, if we truly draw near to God, the result of that is what James says here in verse 8. Look at the very end of verse 8. He says, draw near to God and he will draw to near, near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, if we are drawing near to God, a couple of things are going to result in our life. First of all, we're going to have a desire to have clean hands. We're going to want to have clean hands in our life. Now, hands in the Bible represent action. It represents things we do. And when we talk about having clean hands, what we're saying is that we realize that we are sinners, that we break God's heart, that we've sinned against God. And to have clean hands is really to have a heart that says, I'm willing to deal with the sin that's in my life. And if I'm going to have clean hands for God, if I'm going to draw near to God, listen, when, the more I draw near to God, the more I invest and pursue in my relationship with him. You know one thing that I learned? It's how sinful that I really can be. Don't you? I learned the wickedness of my own heart over and over again, which also reminds me of the grace of God. But I'm reminded of that. And so when I draw near to God, I need to have this, it will result in this heart of wanting clean hands where I'm dealing with the sin in my life. Why? Because we all know this to be true, that when there's sin in our life, it breaks fellowship with our Heavenly Father, right? Amen? You believe that? For example, many of you are married in the room. And you have, let's say Jill and Craig, because they're sitting right in front of me, which is never a good place to be. But Jill and Craig right there. Let's say they go home and, and they're both playing golf and she just whips him. She beats him and they break into this, this massive brouhaha and they fight and, and they go into the opposite rooms. Well, in that moment, do they cease to be married? No. Their relationship is intact. She just may not talk to him for a couple of days, which is fellowship, right? And see, when we sin, are we still children of the Most High God? Yes, we still belong to him. But when we sin, we are breaking fellowship with God. And to have clean hands is to say, I want to deal with sin in my life because I know when I have broken fellowship with the Father, I will not thrive in my walk with him. I will not thrive. And so we have a result in clean hands. It also will result in a pure heart. We all know that the reason we sin is because of an impure heart, right? It's because the impurities of our heart. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. 
What's he saying? Above everything else, you got to protect what you allow into your heart, what you allow into your life. you got to protect it. And see, here's the thing. When we draw near to God and we intentionally invest and pursue in that relationship with him, it will develop within us a heart to have clean hands before God, to deal with that sin. And a heart that wants to be pure before God, that protects it. In fact, in Psalms 24, it says this. Just listen to these words. Psalms 24, 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in this holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and who does not lift up his soul to what is false, or does not swear deceitfully. In other words, the ones that can approach and grow and draw near to God are those with a clean hands, dealt with sin, and a pure heart. Protects what comes in. Now here's the point. If we are going to thrive in a relationship with the Lord, we not only need to submit ourselves to God, but we need to be committed to draw near to God. There has to be intentionality on our part to read our Bible, to pray, and to seek him if we're really going to grow. And Jeremiah says, those who seek me with all their heart, guess what? They will never find me. Is that what it says? Those who seek me with all their heart, they will find me. God's not playing a grand game of hide and seek. He's saying, if you pursue me, if you come after me, if you seek me with everything in you, you will find me. Why? Because I want to have a relationship with you. I want to grow. I want to raise you up as a child that you need to be. I mean, he does not hide from us. He's there for us. But we have to be committed to draw near to God. And there's one more thing that we have to be committed to, and it's this. We have to be committed to being wretched before God. Look with me in verse 9. He says, be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your, gloom, and your, your joy turn to gloom. He says, listen, not only do we need to submit ourselves to God, not only do we need to draw near to God, but we need to be wretched before God. That's something we don't talk about a lot, but here's what it means. Wretched means to be broken before God. That's what it means. He says, I want you to be broken before God. Have you ever hurt somebody and you knew you hurt them and it broke you? You ever been like that? Now, I'm not talking about you being hurt, because that always breaks us, right? I'm talking about you did something, you know you did it, and you look back on it, and it breaks you. You're like, I can't believe I did what I had done. You, have you ever had that moment? That's what it means to be wretched. He's saying that when we, because we sin, because we rebel, there needs to be a broken in us that we have sinned against a holy God. And James even tells us what brokenness looks like. Did you pick up on those words? He says mourn, Right? You know what mourning is? Mourning is internal grief. That's what it is. It means to grieve internally. I'm not a super emotional person. I'm not super. I mean, like, you know, I mean, as I get older, it's worse. I don't know what the problem is. I mean, I can watch like a Hallmark movie and get a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye, but I fight it off. Anybody else like that? Okay. Men are like, no, not me, Doug. So anyway, I'm not super emotional. But the thing about it is this, is that even though I'm not super emotional, there's a part of me that inwardly grieves even though nobody knows it. Like when my, my dad passed away. There was a part of me, I mean, to the outside, I was fine. But inside, I'm grieving. I'm grieving the loss of my hero. I'm grieving the loss of someone who guided me and shaped me and invested in me and poured in me. I'm grieving the fact that when I have a toilet plugged up and I pick up my phone to call him, he's not going to answer. 
And there's a grief that sets in me. And to mourn means I'm internally grieving over the sin that's in my life. I'm grieving the fact that I have sinned against the holy God. I'm grieving the fact that I've broken the heart of God. He says, listen, here's what brokenness is. It's not just being, well, I'm sorry I did that. I probably shouldn't have done it. It's mourning what we've done. Internally grieving. And you know what that looks like. And then he says, not only mourn, he says, but weep. Weep is that outer expression of the inward grief, right? My mom, when my dad passed away, my mom was, we were all around the casket and we're about ready to start the service and, and I'm the only preacher in the family, so guess what I always get asked to do? Guess what I get asked to do all the time? Even now when I go to lunch with people, like, oh, you're the preacher, you pray. You know, it's like, it's like I have a special connection or something. But anyway, we're sitting there, all my family, and it's an emotional moment. I'm doing my dad's funeral, so I'm kind of getting geared up for that. And my mom says, hey, Doug, will you pray? And all of a sudden, the inward grief came outward. And I just fell apart right there. And my mom was like, my mom's like, I've never seen this. I don't know what to do with this. But the point is that there was a part of me that what was so stirring within me had to come out of me. And he says, listen, if we are really wretched before God, we will be inwardly grieving the sin. And ultimately, it may come out. We need to weep. And it may be an outward expression of our grief. And then he says, humble ourselves before the Lord. That word humble means to make low. It means to remember your place. And here's our place. We were sinners in need of a Savior. While we may be saints today as children of God, we still sin and we still need God's grace. We still sin and we still need God's love and protection and rebuke and discipline in our lives. To humble ourselves and to say, I am so broken over the sin in my life that it reminds me of my place, but it also reminds me of God's big grace. Right? I'm reminded of God's love for me. So he says, not only are we to get to that place where we are to submit ourselves to God, draw near to God, but we must be wretched before God, broken over our sin. And I just want to ask you this morning, are you broken over your sin? I know that we look at our sin and go, I wish I hadn't, and I know that. I wish I'd made a different choice, but is there a level of brokenness that we feel when we rebel against God? I would contend maybe not as much as there should be, right? Maybe if it's a really big thing that we're we're fearful of the consequences of that, maybe then. But I'm just talking about the things where we do that maybe the consequences aren't huge, but we've still broken the heart of God. Are we weeping and mourning and humbling ourselves over those things? He says, be wretched before me. See, here's something I want us to know before we get ready to close. If we are going to thrive spiritually, we have to be committed to submitting ourselves to the Lord. We have to be committed to drawing near to God, and we have to be committed to being wretched before God. So here's my prayer, and here's my challenge this morning. Would we all just take a step? Would you just take a step this morning? See, if you're like me, when I went through this a couple of weeks ago, and I was praying through James chapter 4, I felt like, okay, I stink in all of these areas. I struggle in all these areas. But there may be an area you're like, okay, this is the one for me that I'm really wrestling with. Maybe it's that idea of submission. Maybe it's the idea of drawing near to God. Maybe it's the idea of really being broken over my sin. And, and wherever you're at, would you just take a step this morning? Here's what I mean. Maybe there's somebody in the room that doesn't have a personal relationship with Christ. And what you need to do is submit yourself today. You need to yield to your way of doing life and realize that Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. You need to realize that maybe today the only way that you can access heaven and have the hope of heaven is through a personal relationship with Christ. And so maybe you need to submit yourselves to him today. Yield your way and take up his way. 
Or maybe you're a follower of Christ today. And you need to take a step in submission. Maybe you need to submit your finances. Maybe you need to submit your career. Maybe you need to submit your marriage. You need to yield those things to the Lord going, Lord, I've tried all this my way, and my way's not working. Today I need to submit to your way. Today I'm going to yield my will, my way, and my desires, and I'm going to take up yours, God. Your desires in my marriage, my career, my finances, my relationships. Some of us need to take a step and submit this morning. Maybe others of us need to take a step and say, Lord, I need to draw near to you. Can I tell you one of the easiest and most difficult ways to do that is to be intentional about the time you set aside every day to spend with the Lord. Time every day. And I'm not talking about 30 seconds before a meal. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real time when you spend in his word and you spend on your knees in prayer. Well, Doug, you don't know my schedule. I don't have time to. Well, here's what I would submit to you. You don't have time not to. You don't have time not to. There's too much at stake to not draw near to God. If you're unhappy with where you find yourself in your walk and you feel like you're not thriving, you're just surviving, you feel distant from God, you feel like your faith is fragile, listen, you need to take a moment and take a step and go, I'm going to be intentional. That may mean you have to get up earlier. And I hate getting up early. I mean, I, I'm not a morning person, but that may mean what it means for you. And would you take a step to say, I'm going to draw near to God. I'm going to be intentional about my time spent with him. Or maybe for some of you, it's that moment where you need to take a step and say, Lord, I really want to be broken over my sin. I, need to, I want to understand the magnitude and the weight of what I've done so I can weep and mourn and humble myself. Because you know what the promise was at the end of humbling? Those who humble themselves, he will what? He will exalt you. He won't leave us down there. He will build us up. He will restore us. And maybe you need to take that step. So here's my prayer this morning. Wherever you find yourself, would you just take a step? Would you just take a step and say, Lord, here's where I'm at this morning. And I don't feel like I'm thriving, but I want to. And here's what I'm committing to. Not just saying the words of commitment, but what I'm really committing to. And would you take a step? Maybe in a moment you need to come and you just want to pray. These steps we're going to call an altar. Maybe right where you're at you want to pray. Maybe you made a decision this morning and you want to grab one of those welcome cards in the seats in front of you and just fill it out and let us know. I don't know how you need to respond, but will you respond? Because everyone of us in the room today need to understand, if we're going to thrive, these three things have to be part of our life. You can't do two and not the third. All three are required if we are going to thrive in our walk with Christ. So what step are you going to take today? Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. And every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to pray this morning. And however the Lord may be leading you, would you just be faithful to respond that way? If you need to come pray at the altar in a moment, please do so. If you just want to sit there in your chair and just reflect or sit there as we sing and reflect, you do so. But my prayer is that for everyone in the room that we would be faithful to respond to him this morning. Father, I love you. And I thank you for this word today. Lord, I needed this. There's times in all of our lives I know we look at it and go, okay, I'm going through the motions. I'm doing some right stuff. I'm going to small group, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm being faithful to give, but yet there's something missing in us and there's something lacking. And sometimes, Lord, we feel like we, we need to insert more things into our life to make that feeling go away. But the reality is, maybe it's because we've committed to the wrong things. And my prayer today, Lord, is this, for everyone in the room, that we would assess our own hearts. And that your Holy Spirit would maybe help us with that. And ask the question, are we thriving spiritually this morning? 
And if not, would you give us the courage to submit ourselves to you? Would you give us the courage to make a commitment to really draw near to you? Would you give us the courage not just to be bothered by our sin, but be broken over our sin? Because the more I'm broken, the more I realize how much your grace means to me. So God, would you just move in this place? And my prayer for all my brothers and sisters and maybe those that are new to our campus, Lord, that, that we would respond this morning as your Holy Spirit would lead us. God, we love you. And we need you. And we surrender this moment to you. May you work. May you challenge us. May you change us this morning. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. If you need to come, the altar is open.